we do recognize our veterans, and I, I know we can look at our country today and say what a mess it's in and, and how, how different it was when many of you went to go serve for this country. But we still know we have an opportunity to influence our nation. And we are very thankful to those of you who have served. Let's also recognize James. What a fantastic job. Thank you, James. James and his wife, Monroe, are a blessing to this ministry. They're getting the choir back, the gang's back, you know, practices, music uh, sheets are being printed, all that fun stuff. I love it. It's, it's been a blessing to have them here in our ministry and to have their two little ones running around too. Um, I'm just very thankful to be here today and know that what I'm about to share with you is truth. To anybody who wants to believe on Jesus Christ, these things are true. We meet me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to be bouncing around quite a bit this morning. But I want to encourage you, <clears throat> especially on a day where, on a weekend, where we're supposed to be honoring and remembering those uh, who have served our country, we know as believers that this is not our final home. Amen? We are going to a place where there is no sorrow, there is no sickness, there is no pain, suffering, and greatest of all, there's no separation. And you may say, I thought you were going to say there's no death. Well, that's what death is, is it not? It is separation. You do a word study on that word and you see that it's separation. And what ends up happening with a lot of people is they become so attached to this place. We become attached to our homes, our families, our money, <laughs> or lack thereof, right? We become attached to good circumstances and we revolt against bad circumstances. And we really set our minds up for a trap. And we think that everything that we can experience here is everything worth experiencing. But this is all going to go, folks. And it's going to go quickly. I remember one time for New Year's, Kyla and I drove up to Athens, Georgia. And we were at Tim King's house. We had just showed up. It was New Year's Eve. And, you know, good old country boys, they know how to have themselves a bonfire. But I'm looking at this fire, and I'm seeing the flames increase very quickly. And I'm noticing that it's getting taller and taller and taller. And now these flames are licking the top of the trees. And I'm going, I don't know much, but something's not right. <laughs> so I hadn't seen my friend Justin since winter break. And the first thing I'm saying to him is, hey, man, how you doing? As we are unraveling the hose to get water on the fire. And when I think about the world burning up quickly, that's exactly the story that comes to my mind, just how quickly things can get out of control, how quickly this world is going to be gone. And you and I, as people who have put our trust in Jesus Christ, we should have confidence and assurance that there's a new heaven and a new earth, and there will be no need of the sun, for the Lamb will be the light. Amen? We should hold on to these things. We should live our temporary physical lives here through that mindset. And it's with that in mind that I've titled this sermon, Lord, Remember Me, to remember faithful things about God that are true for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. 
Without the gospel message, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul accurately describes that we would be, of all men, most miserable. And it's interesting, even the secular society recognizes the patronizing and the attacks and the humility that is put on Christianity. I was watching something this past weekend, and it was a little clip, about a minute long, but one of the most successful podcasters in the world, you know, he's beginning to dabble in the idea of Christianity, and, you know, he's being more outspoken with Christianity, and one of the observations he, as a lost man, has made is that every, uh, every other major world religion is without criticism. Think about it for a moment. Think about it. If you're Muslim, you're honored and recognized in your place of work, in your school, in your family. Buddhist, same thing. Hinduism, same thing. Nobody questions it. Everybody is ready, willing, and able to give you the religious freedom space that you need. But if you're a Christian, you can't have your Bible on your desk at work. You can't bring tracts out and solicit religious material to your coworkers. When you identify with Jesus Christ, you identify with persecution from the world. Why is that? And this podcaster, who's got you know tens of millions of followers on all of his accounts, was interviewing, I don't remember who the guy was, but he gave a really good answer when Jesus was saying, the devil does what the devil does. He doesn't attack himself. But as soon as the devil recognizes the true power of the Son of God, he's ready, willing, and able to attack that. I mean, Jesus proves himself to be accurate over and over and over again. And we recognize that as Christians today, we should be coming to the conclusion that peace and safety and security, these things, are, they're temporary for us. Some of you have already, many of you have already experienced this type of persecution from the world. The thief on the cross said, Lord, remember me when you go in to your kingdom. We'll get to that in a moment, but Jesus says some very interesting things which we can imply from other places in Scripture that we'll look at today were true for that thief on the cross. But let me tell you something. That thief died that day. He knew his situation. He knew his circumstances. In Mark's gospel and in Matthew's gospel, they both accurately describe that both of the thieves railed against Christ. Luke focuses on the changed mind of the one thief. Something happened. Something clicked with him. And we see that observed when we get to Luke. But I want you to look at these two passages, short verses, but they set the tone for our study this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 4 says this, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, focus on this here, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. What is the point of what we're studying here? Comfort and edify based off of truth. 
A lot of times in Hollywood and in movies, you see the main character or maybe a side character who's going through a character arc. They hope in something they can't see. They don't know that anything is going to happen. They just hope for the best. They don't have their foundation. There's nothing to lay that hope on. There's no foundation. That's not true for you and me. If Jesus Christ has redeemed us, we have hope and can comfort one another through difficult times. Look at that verse again, right before verse 11. Who died for us. Did Jesus Christ die for the sins of the world? Yes, he did. Are you a part of the world? And look what this says. That whether we wake, whether we are alive or sleep, or whether we die, we should what? Live together with him. In light of these truths, wherefore, comfort yourselves. I'm not looking to you and saying, I hope it's going to be okay. I have no reason to believe it will be, but I I hope it will. That's not how we should go about in our Christian lives. Do you know how this is manifested? Confidence. Confidence. Now, there's a fine line between being confident and being foolish, right? But a believer who knows the word and has applied it to their lives, they will stand confidently before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. We don't have to wait till that day to be confident. We can walk with our head held high knowing who we are and how we know that. Amen? But I see a lot of Christians, they're down. Their attitude and demeanor is reflective of the stock market. (laughs) You can tell if Wall Street's having a bad day, they are too. And we're we're getting into this election cycle, right? You already see it. You see the targets flying, the words, the false promises, all sorts of mud being thrown around. And if we get caught up in it, we're going to think that we need a better president in order to be happy and comfort and edify one another. It would be people saying, well, you know, I would comfort and edify you, but, you know, Joe Biden's president, so I can't do that. <laughs> what? Is, is Joe Biden have anything to do with what was just said here? Who's the focus of our comfort and edification of one another? Jesus. Amen? Let's do it in that thrust. Not in the thrust of, well, circumstances are good. Gold is up. Silver is up. Hey, I'm going to walk. I'm going to skip the church today. Everything's great. You're high-fiving everybody. As soon as the price goes down, you're like, that's not how people should act. But that's how people do, excuse me, act, sadly. Look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, in verse 3. Love this. Just had a major study there in, verse, in, in chapter 2 about the Antichrist and all these different things, scary things, right? And in closing, Paul says this to the people in Thessalonica. His second letter to them, he says, 2 Thessalonians 3.3, 3, but the Lord, who's, who is the one who is faithful? The Lord is faithful, who will establish you. That's the idea. I don't know how many of you guys have um, laid posts for fences, there's two ways you can do that. You can do it the right way and the wrong way. You can do it in a way that you just get compacted sand, right? You, put, you dig the hole, you put sand in there, and you, you tamp it down, and temporarily, it'll stay good. But as soon as some rain comes, or even moisture in the ground, or even you putting the panels in, all of a sudden, that post is wobbly. So you can do it the right way, which is you pour cement in there, you mix it properly, 
and that thing ain't moving. Doesn't matter if most of the time when you see damage from a hurricane, you still see that faithful fence post. Right? Brought to you by QuickCrete. You know? It said, boom, right there. Where's the panel? Gone. That, 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 oh, there's staples, brother. This is QuickCrete. You can get QuickCrete today at Home Depot. Two for $10. All right, that's the end of my ad read for QuickCrete. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Established. That post isn't going anywhere. Why? Because it's rooted. It's established there. That is the idea and principle behind the Lord is faithful who will establish you. Now, there's a comma there added by the translators, but the rest of the original manuscripts tell us it's not just that he's going to establish you. He's also going to guard you from something. Look what this says. Keep you from evil. Is there evil in the world today? You don't have to answer. We all know. Yes, there's evil in the world today. But the Lord is going to establish us and he's going to keep us from it. Now look in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, we're going to start in verse 39. If you have a Scofield Bible, there's a paragraph heading there that says the repentant thief, and there's cross-references to Matthew 27, 44, and Mark 15, 32. If we took the time to go to those passages, you would notice the repentance of the thief is not there. However, the fact that they both railed against Jesus is recorded. Now, some people who come against the accuracy of the Bible will say that this is a flaw, that these things make Matthew and Mark to contradict with Luke. But when you understand the synoptic Gospels, we're looking at one event from four different angles. A lot of scholars remove John because John has so much to do with Jesus and how to possess eternal life, but that is... I count that as one of the fourth synoptic gospels because that's the essence of who he is. He was doing all these miracles. You know, Matthew presents him as the king, Mark as somebody who is a servant, Luke as somebody who is a man. The gospel of John presents him as the son of God, amen? John 20 verses 30 through 31 says, many other things did Jesus, which this book is not recorded, but the things that are recorded are there for you to believe. That's so strong and powerful. But here, Luke is expressing a difference with this one thief. This is what you call biblical repentance. Now, he's not turning from sin. May I have your ears for a moment here if, if you've drifted off for a second? He's not turning from his sin. He's on the cross. His hands are nailed. His feet nailed on top of one another. That man is dying today. There is no chance for him to come off of that cross and demonstrate his faith for God to honor it. No chance. He's dying today. He railed against Jesus as those who were on the ground railed against him. But he says something magnificent that demonstrates what happened up here. Look what this says. 39. One of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him. Now, this is a change. He was railing with that thief. 
But he, so, he sobers up and recognizes, I'm not getting off of this. And I'm on here justly. Look what he says. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost, thou, dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? Two things I want you to see here. The thief is recognizing two different forms of condemnation. Not only is he condemned by man because he's a thief and he's paying the price, but his statement, do you not fear God, also brings him to the recognition that I'm going to die and then be condemned by God. This man is recognizing, I'm about to step out of the temporal into the eternal. And he's looking at that thief who's upset about his situation, as he just was, and is looking to this Messiah who can deliver him only physically. Let's say those men came off the cross. Do they possess each Will they never die again? No. They're going to die eventually. They may have some more time, but they're going to die. What good would it have done? If they get off of that cross, they, oh, I got out of that jam. Fifteen years later, they die. Still end up in hell. They recognize, I got a physical problem here. I need to be physically delivered. But the one thief stays on that mindset. The other one recognizes, I've got a spiritual problem. John 3, when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, he says, those that believe not are condemned already. For what purpose? Because they haven't believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's why they're condemned. This thief, obviously, it's inferred, I think, correctly. He knew about Jesus. He comes to this conclusion. And we, 41, indeed justly. <coughs> indeed justly. What does that mean? This condemnation physically that they're about to partake of, it's justified. Was Jesus' physical condemnation justified? Even wicked Pilate said, I wash my hands of this. Pilate's wife, I've had nightmares about this man. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. The wages of sin is what? Death. They are about to die. But this man, that's Jesus, hath done nothing amiss. And here's where we see him confess what he's first believed. This is a huge problem in these theological circles today where people require you to stand up and verbally confess your belief and that justifies you. That's not what Romans 10 says. With the heart, man believeth unto what? Righteousness. With the mouth, salvation is attained. Physical deliverance. You confess what you believe. It doesn't say there that if you don't stand up in a Baptist church and say you believe on Jesus, that God's going to hold you accountable to that one day. When you believe with the mind, God is the one who justifies and gives righteousness. I think right here in verses 40 and 41, that thief is already saved. And I don't have to guess. I don't have to put a little asterisk next to that and say, this is the opinion of Jesse Martinez. Look at what is said in verse 42. The thief 
recognizing his position, recognizing the deity, the, the ability that God can save him. He says this, he confesses what he's already believed. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And 43 ought to make you a thankful person. Because if it's true for that man who was hung on the cross and convicted and, and totally justified to be up there, if he can be redeemed, then so can I. Amen? Jesus said unto him, Verily, this is the last thing he does in his ministry, I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. What a guarantee. Do you recognize the truth of that statement? Is that as soon, as soon as that thief died, he went to paradise, and he didn't wait for Jesus three days and three nights to duke it out with the devil in Madison Square Garden. No, the Lord cried out, it is finished. He gave up the ghost. The scripture tells us in Ephesians that he went down and led captivity captive. He met that thief the same day, amen? Wow. That's good stuff. Who's the faithful, faithful one there? Jesus is the faithful one. All his ministry, he's hanging on the cross because of blasphemy, perceived blasphemy. Yet he's still able to have the power, even in his crucifixion, to impart eternal life to those who will believe. Chills at the beauty and completeness of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Amen? I want you to look at a couple of points here. From this, we can see salvation of man is guaranteed by the finished work of Jesus Christ. We're going to let Luke uh, uh, 23 go, and we're going to go to John chapter 6, okay? John chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 35. I'm going to do my very best not to get in the weeds with theological defense this morning. That's just how I'm wired, because I see it all the time. I, I hear it all the time. Oh, God did this. God did that. Scripture is against those ideas and opinions. And most of the time, I'm excited to defend the Scripture at an apologetic level, and I don't apologize for that. <laughs> if you understand that, okay, you understand it. But I, I want to I speak to what this does say this morning, because it's very important. Our confidence should hinge on what Jesus says here. In John chapter 6, Jesus is teaching about where he came from. He's answering questions, what kind of sign, all these different things. And Jesus is not directly answering because he knows the thoughts and intents of these people's hearts. Many of them do not believe. Many of them still did not believe after he came back from the dead. Nevertheless, he was faithful and true to the message. Look at what 35 says. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. It's an illustration there. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Stop for a moment here. As a good Bible student, we should note some things here. There are two verbs, cometh and believeth. Both of them have the same result, satisfaction. Not saying you have physical satisfaction as in all your problems will be solved, but the fact that he described himself as the bread of life 
means that those who come to him will be satisfied from any kind of spiritual hunger. Also, they will have their thirst quenched as a result. So cometh, believeth on me, shall never thirst. That's the bracket that we start, and he gets into 36. But I said unto you, those who are there, specifically those who have the greater condemnation. The Bible tells us in James chapter 3, those who have the greater condemnation are those who are teachers. I don't know if you've experienced this. Have you ever had a professor that probably shouldn't have been a professor? Yeah, they know how to read a syllabus. They know how to repeat things, but they're not a teacher. They're, they're just a parrot, da -da -da -da, you know? And these things are common nowadays. But a teacher should be able to understand the material so well that they can break it down into pieces so that their students can take those pieces and put them together and come to the same conclusion that they are. We got to teach people not what to think, but how to think. Amen? And these that were in the audience had that responsibility. And Jesus says this to them, 36. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. Oh, seeing is believing. Uh, mm. <coughs> Are we you sure about that? Because they saw Jesus, Son of God, their Messiah, yet they still did not believe. Interesting. Look at the contrast here. 35, those that believe, you're never going to thirst, you're never going to hunger. Those of you who are here, you see me and you don't believe. Look at 36. Uh, excuse me, 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Now, hang on a second. People will say, this must mean that God gives the person salvation and then they believe. This is synonymous. Those who believe are those that have been given. This is not fatalism here. You're not, you're not living your life wondering if God called you first. May I say plainly, if you're here today and you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Father has given you to the Son, amen? There's some security there. And you don't have to remember your password. It doesn't have to have one capital letter, one lowercase letter, and, you know, a symbol. <laughs> you don't have to verify it with secondhand verification through a text message. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me... A second statement of fact about those who believe, look what it says, I will in no wise cast out. Mm, that's good. So we know the person that believes never hungers, never thirsts, and is now guaranteed to be in and not out. Look at 38. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. This is very important. We should be able to see here, and I remember as a teenager thinking about this all the time, what's God's will for me? What's God's will for my life? How can I know God's will? Here's the will. <laughs> Look at 39. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all he hath given, those who, who have believed, we know that from 37, I. Who's the I here? Jesus. Should lose Nothing. Now that's a repeating. That's a that's a repetition of what he already said 
in verse 37. I want you to see that. I will in no wise cast out. He already said that. So he's building off of that. All those who have believed, given of me, given to me, given of the Father, I should lose nothing, but should, here's another statement of fact, raise it up again at the last day. 40. And this is the will of him that sent me. Who sent him? <coughs> God the Father. That everyone, and it's nice and encapsulated here, everyone which seeth the Son, believeth on him, may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The salvation of man is guaranteed by the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important that he died, was buried, and rose again. We don't go visit the crypt of Jesus Christ and know his rotting bones are there. He came back from the dead. And so I know I will too. That'll give you the greatest thrust of life yet you need. Well, I'm really hoping I hit on that stock. You know, I really need that. That's not what I need. I need to recognize what's already true, amen? Was that true of the thief on the cross? Today shalt thou be with me in paradise, that I'll lose nothing, there never be cast out, and I'll raise him up at the last day. That thief, amen. He's a saint now. Second thing I want you to see here is God has accepted the blood of Jesus and applies it to the debt of all those who believe on his son. Let John 6 go and travel over to Romans 5. Romans 5 verses 9 through 11 tell us some very interesting things about blood and atonement. A high-level overview, all of the animal sacrifices could not cover sin completely. That's why they had to be done over and over and over again. Don't believe what people tell you in ultra-dispensationalism. I know big, big theological phrase there, but they teach that people will sa were saved by the animal sacrifices. The book of Hebrews says if that is true, they would have had to do it one time. This is why we don't believe that Jesus repays for our sin when we take communion. If you notice in the Catholic Church, I've said this many times before, but it's an important thing to remember, they have Christ up on the cross in their depiction of the crucifixion. Every time they do Mass, they believe they crucify Jesus for your sins in which you are confessing. Heresy, heresy, heresy. He died once. Otherwise, it's not eternal life. But we see something very important here in Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 9, about the blood and the atonement. Much more than being, and you got to understand that this is not, you know, ye old King James language. This is specific English. Being now justified. It doesn't say being justified, being now in the process of justification. It's already done. Being now justified, excuse me, by his what? Blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we are already reconciled. And I love how this is put because he already put it in the past tense in the beginning. 
we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall now be saved by his life. Saved from what? The wrath of this world, the wrath of physical separation from God in a place called hell. Because he lives, I will live. And not only so. <laughs> you like that. By the way, that's the King James way to say, but wait, there's more. Look what it says. But we also, oh, three-letter word there. It's a strong word. We also mope, pout, cry, cry, wah, wah. No, no. We also joy in God through our own self-motivation, through my chance. Yes, yes, yes I'm, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. Who do we joy through? Jesus. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the what? Covering. The covering. Yeah, it's like, oh, here comes Ohio State. No, no, no. The Ohio State Buckeyes. Okay, we hear you. All right. By the way, I don't know how I can say I'm a Florida fan now after that. What Bob said. You know? Oh, Bob's like, yeah, you know, Bobby Bowden led someone to Christ. I was like, Jesse, why are you a Florida fan? I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, you're just like kicking something like, I don't know. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> you go a long way from there, but look at the truth of this statement here. The atonement, this is the final one, the only one that matters, and it's by the blood of Jesus Christ. So let me tell you something here. You know what this teaches? that God has accepted that payment from his son, Jesus Christ. So for those who have not yet believed, there is a payment ready for them. It's not that they have to get to a condition and then the blood is applied. It's already been accepted. And so you, you think to yourself, this is the tragedy of death without salvation. That people died yesterday. People died with a payment ready to be applied. This week on Wednesday, usually I have some downtime between like 2 o'clock and the evening service. And that's when I'll read or study. Sometimes I'll take a little siesta, you know. I'm only getting older. But a new pest control guy came in. Same company, but a new representative. Very professional guy. Okay, shook my hand, looked me in the eye, told me some things are changing with the company. They're going to be doing a new online system. Yakety, yakety, yak. You know, I'm there. I'm there for that because I want to share the gospel with this guy. So he comes into my office. A whole hour and a half goes by. He wasn't, you know, there isn't a pest control problem in my office. We talked about salvation for an hour and a half. And when I tell you I had all the confidence in the world that I could answer his questions, I had all the confidence in the world that I could answer his questions. He did not trust Christ as his Savior, but he's willing to think about it because the way that he's understood God and the world is why do bad things happen to good people? I'm going to share with you what I told him. And I, we, I didn't even plan this. He grew up in foster care. He was homeless for three months, lived under Pier 60 in Clearwater. My wife and I, we're ready. We were ready to do foster care. You guys know that story. 
And then we were blessed by God to be able to adopt. And now we have our beautiful daughter who just celebrated a birthday party yesterday. Her actual birthday will be on Sunday, this next Sunday. And we're going to have a whole meal for her. <laughs> no, that's not how that works, right? That's how you lead to problems, you know? When you're five years old, I'm somebody. We had a whole dinner for me. But I was sharing this story with him, and he said, you know, there's just some people, they, they don't deserve it. And I know where he's coming from because of the hurt and the pain that he has experienced at the hands of others. Well, we start, we go off of that point and start talking about other things. And he asked me about my adoption process with, with Remy. And I shared with him the whole thing. Told him about how we got the call. We met the biological parents. It was a very rough situation. Remy's family was there. There was a lot of drugs involved. DCF got involved. And you could see his face. He was just, that's the kind of person he would, he would say is not worthy of salvation. And I explained to him that on the day that we walked in to Remy's biological mom's hospital room where she had to make the decision, either Rem goes into foster care or she goes with the placement agreement for adoption, that we gave her and her family the gospel. His mouth dropped to the floor. He's like, but she doesn't deserve that. I looked him square in his face and I said, neither do I. I don't deserve it. And that's not my first reaction. Can I be honest with you this morning? Those three days that we spent in the hospital were some of the hardest days. Because you just want justice, you want everything to go right, you've been praying for this. But it's, it was easy to die to self and recognize she needs Christ because I need Christ. That's the, lo that's the love of God. It's not merely, love you, bro. He, he showed us. He demonstrated that love for us on the cross. And I'm sitting there with this young man, and we're talking about these things, and it's getting heavy in the office, you know? He's going in to tell me there's a new payment system. We're talking about eternal life. But he said, you've given me a lot to think about. I told him, I'm glad you're willing to think about it. But don't put God in the court of your law. You don't know how much time you have. And you could tell he was a little taken aback by that. And I said, look, I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just telling you how it is. People die. <laughs> Nobody woke up and said, oh, that's today? Oh. You know? You die when you die, folks. Would you pray for him? That young man? He's got a lot to think about. He walked out of the office, and I sat in my chair, and I was just so thankful for what God has allowed me and my wife to experience. All that we can see, you know, it's like, a tapestry being woven. God is at work through our lives. But he's at work when we recognize who we are and why that is. The blood of Jesus has been accepted. That's why I could look at the biological mother to my daughter and say, God loves you. 
even though you don't think he does or you don't think he's worthy for you to love him back, he has sent his son to die for the sins of the world, yours included. And if you just believe on him, he gives to you the free gift of everlasting life. He doesn't deliver you from this addiction here. He doesn't take away all the physical consequences of what you've done to yourself. But you can know that one day when you pass away, you'll be with him. I shared that message with them. They did not receive it well. But Lord willing, I got 18 years, folks. And I'm not going to quit. I pray for that, if anything. You know, people are like, Remy is so blessed to have you guys and all that. We're blessed to have her. And this is a great opportunity. Can you imagine? Her, Her bio family comes to faith in Christ. Be worth everything. Everything. In order to have that kind of mindset, you got to see past yourself and past the circumstances of what's there and recognize the blood of Jesus has been applied. Amen? Third point here, go to 2 Timothy chapter 11. The believer has died with Jesus, and since Christ rose again, he will also live with Jesus for all eternity. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. I, I kind of cringe when... Some pastors and teachers say that, oh, 1 and 2 Timothy is just for the pastor. No, it's not. <laughs> We're all held to a responsibility. Look what it says here in verse 11. It is a faithful saying, if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. Amen? That's true. You can let 2 Timothy go. We're going to come back to that, but much later. 1 John 5. You think, oh, verse 13. We're going to start in verse 11. (laughs) Gotcha. Just kidding. 1 John 5, 11, page 13, 25. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Notice the focus on life. Verse 12, he that hath the Son, which is through faith, in Jesus, hath life. He that hath not the Son, which is the active state of unbelief, never having belief, only in unbelief, hath not the Son of God, hath not life. 1 John 5.13. These things, and many people think, oh, the whole book, right? No, it's actually starting from verse 20 in chapter 4 all the way through to now. These things... Have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God? Is that a believer? Yes. That you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. I think it's so important not to neglect verse 14. Yes, we have eternal security in verse 13, But there's an expectation to produce something. Be men and women of prayer. When you're a child of God and you're living according to His Word and His will, when you pray, answers come about. That's why I say it all the time, Wednesday night, very important. Very important. This last point, there's a lot that we have to look at in this last point as far as bouncing around. 
But we've talked about how the salvation is guaranteed by Jesus Christ. The blood has been accepted faithfully by God the Father. The believer is dead with Christ, and now since he is risen, we also rise as well. And then the fourth point is God will faithfully reward the labor. Now, we're not supposed to be like government employees, okay? How many times have you seen this? You see 50 guys in vests and two dudes doing the work, right? And everybody else is like, You know, that's not how we're supposed to be. Sadly, that's how a lot of churches are. 10% of the people do 90% of the work. I despise that stat because there's no solution there. It's like, good job, you've identified a problem. How do we get past that? that that's, that's what a good pastor will do. Okay, all right, great, we solved the problem, right? You got a flat tire. Okay, can you help me change it? Oh, I don't know, it's flat. Yes, we know that. But you know the reason why that stat is sadly true? A lot of believers don't labor for the right things. They'll labor for all their physical possessions. Think about how many of us love our children, and we've demonstrated that by giving them the gospel. And there's so many people that think financial security is what our kids need. If anything has been shown in the last, I don't know, four years, if you get what I'm saying is money is not everything. We're losing 17 cents, like, regularly. All, all you need is something to change, and all of a sudden, boom, that money that you're working hard for, it's not worth as much because there's more required of you. But the labor of God's children is going to be faithfully recognized at the judgment seat of Christ. What does that tell us? God expects you to work. I love what Gary, where, I can't find him. He's back there, I think. I love what Gary read today, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, where it says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. There's a purpose. Demonstrate what you have believed. Not to prove that you've believed, but to maintain it. It's good and profitable for men. And God will also recognize you for it. We're not supposed to become hermits. Let it out in the things that you say and do. Look at 1 Corinthians, well, actually, because of time. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15, and 2 Corinthians 5, 10 tell us that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There's two categories of materials, wood, hand, stubble, unprofitable, gold, silver, precious stone, profitable. They're all tested by fire. The believer is saved from fire, but their works will not be spared. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 58. This is, this, is, this is tacked on to the, la the, the last chapter of 1 Corinthians, excuse me, the second to last chapter of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul's pretty much saying, adios, do this, take care of that. But what he says in verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15 is wrapped up in the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead. Look what he says in verse 58. Therefore, pause, note that, we'll come back to it in a second. My beloved brethren, be ye, you do this, steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We're not supposed to just be satisfied with the fact that we have eternal life. You can do that, 
but you should turn that into something. I see a lot of that. People just say, well, I know I'm going to heaven, so that's the greatest thing. If it's the greatest thing, then use it now. Don't just wait to collect. Be steadfast in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, he's reminding them of what they should already know. And if they don't, he's saying, remember this, that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. There's only one place in the Bible that the believer's labor will be recognized, and it's at the judgment seat of Christ. So that means the works that you do here, they have eternal value. Do you recognize that? I don't think a lot of us do, because I think if we did, we'd live differently. We would have a different mindset. We're going to close in 2 Timothy. I told you we'd go back there. But 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now, if you're maybe in a discussion with somebody online and they tell you, oh, well, 2 Timothy says he will deny those. We're going to look at that in a minute. But you'll see what the proper understanding of that is. But for those of us who have believed unto eternal life, the importance for us is to endure hardness as a good soldier. You've heard it said about the state of the world, right? Hard times make strong men, okay? Strong men bring the good times. The good times make weak men. And those weak men bring hard times. Where do you think we are right now? We've had a lot of peace in this country for a long time. Built off the sacrifice of many. But we've gotten fat in liberty. Fat in prosperity. This country's ripe for hard times. Isn't it good to know, like I said when we opened the, the sermon, this ain't it? That's right. We're going home. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3, look what it says. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Verse 10. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, <coughs> that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying. For if we, believers, be dead with him, and we are, we shall also live with him. Verse 12, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. Now, this is also a, you've got two statements of comfort here. You've died in Christ, you're going to live in Christ. We all were born dead, and now that we're placed in Jesus Christ by faith, we're going to live. If you suffer, have comfort, you're going to rule and reign with him. Not here to prove that this morning, but there is evidence that there is a system, a level of how we will rule and reign with Christ. The judgment seat of Christ, I believe, uh, depicts that. Just like there's degrees of suffering. But if we suffer for Jesus, we shall also reign with him. Now we have two negative or yeah, negative statements that are not supposed to discourage us, but remind us to stay faithful. Salvation is not up for debate here. He's not talking about if you don't deny him, then he's, you know, or if, uh, if you deny him, then he's going to deny you eternal life. 
He's going to deny your rewards. Look at what this says. If we deny him, he also will deny us. What is the only place where the believer, the believer, the believer, the justified one, the reconciled one, will experience loss? The judgment seat of Christ. So this is a reminder to Timothy as he teaches to the church. If you deny the Lord, he will deny you at his judgment seat. But look at verse 13. If we believe not. Now this is, this is massive because you think, okay, this says believe, and it says believe not. So what does this mean? This is talking about those who walk away from the Lord entirely. Now, you just heard that entirely, and you're like, okay, so to what degree? They go back to just living as if they were never regenerated. Can that happen of a child of God? Yes, it can. Look at the guarantee here. If we believe not, yet he, who's the one? He abideth faithfully. Not the believer. He cannot deny himself. You know what the sad truth of this is? You deny yourself from the rewards that God will give you. That's something that we actively do when we walk away and we apostatize from the truth. It can happen to people. You, are, you probably have people in your mind. This happens, I think, to a lot of teenagers, right? They, they come up through a good, solid program, which we have a good, solid program here. I know that. I've seen that. They come through this program. They get out into the world. It's like woof, everything. Where I start, When I was a youth pastor, I noticed it. When the kids got cars, that's when things changed. Now you have freedom. <laughs> And you realize gas doesn't replenish, right? You're like, oh, I got to fill that up. Yeah, and that costs. So then what do they do? They get a job. And the job takes them away from youth group. And sadly, a lot of kids never come to church. So automatically, they're being set up for moving away from the Lord. And it happens. I'd venture to say probably 80% of the kids that came through our youth group, they just went about doing what they were doing before. God is faithful. He will not deny himself. They're his kids. I don't know what kind of chastening they're going to go through, but they're his kids. That's a great promising guarantee, but that's not necessarily what is being said here. What is being said here is you're going to lose out on blessings from God. You can close your Bibles, and I want to bring this to our first point, that thief on the cross. He died that day. He did not get a chance to serve the Lord. He did not get a chance to experience all that the Christian life offers to experience. Jesus said today because he was dying today. Not Jesus himself, but that thief was going to home that day. Talk about last minute, amen? Patience of God. What I want you to focus on is the fact that you are still alive. The day that you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've lived days since then. You got today, for all we know. What are you doing with that time? 
we're going into the last part of the year. We're already there because 105.5 is already playing Christmas music. We know that. <laughs> but we are going into the last part of the year. This is where just naturally the season, everything going on, you get introspective. You start thinking about people that were here last year that are gone this year. Especially now that we're in an election cycle, you start thinking about the future and how good or bad it may look. We have war going on across the globe. People are dying, losing their lives. We can get very introspective, start to get down on ourselves, wish that we did more. You have today. Use today. Don't think about, I'm going to serve God for the rest of my life. Think about, I'm going to serve Him today. And you go to bed, and when you wake up tomorrow, you make the same commitment. It's much easier when it's bite size. It's much easier. Don't make some big vow before God that you don't know if you can keep. Just do what you can with what you got today. And you know what? You'll find that you're content. You'll do one of these. <sighs> okay. And the Lord will enable you to obey him. That's what 1 John is all about. 2 Timothy 2.13, we just saw. He abideth still. He's faithful. The highlight of that verse is, for the person who's unfaithful, God is faithful. The child of God who is unfaithful. But for you who are faithful, you're going to experience sweet fellowship with the Lord. A couple Sundays ago, I talked about John chapter 15, and we focused on not the fruit, but the fact that you should be bearing it and how it's done. And the important thing is, is you love God. If you love God, I'm not just saying people say, say, I love God. You'll demonstrate it. You'll, you'll be a soul winner if you love God. You'll be a person of prayer if you love God. Well, how so, pastor? Is that magically going to happen? No, because if you love God, you're going to love what his word says and you're going to do it. It's natural. But just focus on today. That thief only had today. Yet, look at how the scripture has made him a wonderful example. I wonder, when I get to that place in scripture, I wonder how many people have come to faith in Christ because of that thief's testimony. You think that thief is getting some dividends? Royalties, maybe? <laughs> and I often think about the other thief. He was literally closer to Jesus than you and I will ever be in this life. He was right next to him, and he missed it. He missed it. Don't waste the time that you have. Please. I can't puppet you. I don't want to do that. But allow God to work in your life. Yield. Submit. And He'll work through you. But maybe you're here today and you don't know where you're going to go when you die. That could be anybody, even though we don't have a bunch of new visitors today. I told you that one time somebody came to faith in Christ who was coming here for many, many years. And even if there is nothing but believers here today, should we not be reminded of who we are, how that is? 
This hand represents you and me. This block of sin represents, any guesses? Sin, very good. Puts on top of my hand because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages, the payment for this sin is death. Eternal, permanent separation from God forever in a literal fire-burning hell. The standard to get in and possess eternal life is perfection here on earth, and we can't do that. We've all fallen short. God loves us very much. He hates sin because sin separates us from him. You cannot do any amount of good works to pay for this sin, for by grace are you saved through faith. And then not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's no turning, starting, stopping, committing, giving of enough of whatever that will be able to pay for this sin. Somebody's got to die for it. This hand represents Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. He went and did the Father's will, and He loved us by paying for this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And you know verses 9, 10, and 11. We're justified now. We're reconciled. That reconciliation means removing that which was in the way. He paid for it. The blood has been applied, and God has accepted it. So to anybody, doesn't matter what degree of sinner they are, anybody who simply believes receives everlasting life. Isn't that good news? The gospel message is important. We remember that, and then we serve in that. When you see somebody wicked and vile and you think they don't deserve it, you remember, I didn't either. And God loved me, I can love them. Then you're going to start bearing fruit. Then you're going to start getting persecuted. But no matter, you still have joy. Isn't that good? People that say, oh, we've got to move on from the gospel and get into the deeper things of God. No, get deeper into the gospel. You'll find the deeper things. Will you go to me? Will you go with me to prayer, please? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Nobody looking around. If you're here today and you'd like to know that you have eternal life, you can know so. Right where you're sitting, you can put your faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ that his death, burial, and resurrection paid for all of your sin. The moment that you believe, God gives you eternal life. Would you raise your hand and let me know that you trusted on Jesus Christ today for the first time? Anyone before we close? God bless you. I see you. I see you. God bless you. Raising your hand doesn't save you. It just lets me know so that I can pray for you. And I will pray for you. You're now a child of God. You have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You found a good church. And the day that you die, you'll be absent from that body, but present with the Lord. Before I have prayer for this one that trusted in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you as your fellow believer, fellow child of God, to get busy to have the right perspective. Remember that thief on the cross and take the time that you have left to serve the one who saved him 
Let's pray. Father, I pray for the one that put their trust in you today. I pray that they would have a good support group around them through this ministry here. That they would be able to understand and rightly divide the word. And that they can take what they have understood today and share it with others in their lives. Pray for all the children of God here that we would not be weary in well-doing. We would take advantage of all that we have in regards to time. We think of Israel, Lord. We think of the suffering, the bloodshed. And we ask primarily that there would be people in Israel that move from unbelief to belief in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. But Lord, we know we're in the last days and things will get increasingly more bloody, wicked, vile. I pray, Lord, that we would be the light in a dark world. In Jesus' name, I ask these things. Amen.